0: Hello, I'm Jason Ball, News Director at KTLA 5 News in Los Angeles, and this is the News Director's Office, a podcast about local media. Alongside me today is our producer, Bobby Gonzalez. How's it going, Bobby? It's going well. Happy to be here. And our special guest today is Roland Martin, host and managing editor of RolandMartin.com and Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So we always start with a little quote, uh, stay away from negative people. They have a problem for every solution.
1: <laughs> Who
0: do you think said that? It doesn't make any sense to me, but it's a good quote.
1: No, it actually, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Negative people will drive you crazy.
0: And they got a problem for every solution.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, they will. They will whine and complain all day. So yes, I, I'm there, but I don't like negative people.
0: Yeah, scientist Albert Einstein actually said. Oh, that. Oh, very cool. He's right. Yeah, that's a good one. He was right. So let's get into it. Uh, I saw that you were at in Memphis at the National Civil Rights Museum uh, covering the uh, Freedom Awards Mm -hmm. recently. I have a special I'm from outside Memphis. I grew up about an hour outside Memphis in Arkansas. And I was working in Memphis at WREG when the museum opened. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a great place because it took such a terrible negative happening and made it into this positive you know, story of the civil rights museum. That's the, it. the museum for those who don't know is at the Lorraine motel where Dr. Martin Luther King jr. Was assassinated in 1968 and they've since turned it into a museum. And it's, it's a really a great storytelling process for the entire civil rights museum. And it walks you all the way through slavery all the way through. And then you end at the room where, where Dr. King uh, was staying. And then you see the balcony there. It's, mm-hmm. it's, Pretty impactful, don't you think?
1: What well, is? Um, I think um, you know one of the things with um, a lot of museums, uh, the the issue is how do you make it past and present, but also future. And so that was one of the things that uh, Terry Friedman, who is the president, and also Faith Morris, who is uh, a head of marketing, uh, that's what they're really focused on. Because I think a lot of times when you when you think about you think about um, the, the Lorraine Motel, and even when you look at a lot of celebrations, everybody f- or commemorations, it focuses around the assassination, assassination of Dr. King. And I think too often, people forget why he was in Memphis. Uh-huh. It was a sanitation worker strike. Uh, this year, of course, it marks the 50th anniversary of the strike, but also his assassination. And so what the museum does, it puts you in that perspective of, look, this thing goes beyond the assassination. It goes beyond uh just April fourth. It goes beyond April 3rd, trying to get folks uh to understand what led up to that. And I think that that was a um one of the things that out of all of the exhibits, and there are some amazing exhibits, whether it's dealing with the Black Panthers, whether it's uh, this great exhibit on I Am a Man. Of course, the signs uh, that the sanitation workers wore when they when they went on strike, there's this great sign that's that I mean, it was it's and all it says is all I want for my 18th birthday is a voter registration card. Mm. And it was from a, a young black girl. When you think about voter suppression today, when you think about uh, the crap that Brian Kemp, uh, the Republican candidate for governor of Georgia, is doing, when you look at uh, the Missouri Republican secretary of state putting out a television ad uh, saying, oh, you have to have these voter IDs and a federal judge slapped them down saying, actually, no, you don't. Uh Uh, When you think about federal judges ruling that the North Carolina GOP had a laser like targeting of black voters with their voter ID bill, when you see that. that 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 tells you think about it somebody who's 17 years old is saying all I want for my 18th birthday is a voter registration card uh it it puts it all I think into 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 proper context and so um it was it's always great to be able to visit and to really absorb what's what's in that museum but out of all of the things that I've seen there that is the one thing Mm -hmm that remains locked into my brain just that 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 one little placard
0: yeah it is pretty amazing all of the things that they have there we went back in uh, the spring gail anderson went and did a, a a half hour special on the museum and about the you know mlk 50 and yep. and we talked about you know where do we go from here and that's that was dr king's last book was called that and it yep. was it, it was a Ka- good way to look at chaos
1: or community that, 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 <laughs> right. that's the other <laughs> right. I said it, it was called "Yeah, where do we go from here chaos or community uh-huh. and the thing that was interesting about um, that book is for, for, first of all before we even get to the book uh, I, anybody who's listening I, they have to do one thing I, I, it drives me crazy these people who oh my god out the king not the king not the king and they only have ever heard of two speeches <laughs> if you read that book that book <laughs> explains everything that has transpired since, since his death. What also is stunning, and when I found out it was crazy, that book was not published again until 10 years after his death.
0: I didn't know that. I actually now, haven't. I just got it recently. But I 10 years. It yet.
1: Now, what does that tell you? So he gets killed in April 4th, 1968. First of all, it was his worst-selling book out of all of his books. He writes the book. His numbers are in the 30s, even among black folks. He was a reviled figure by the end of his life because he dared to challenge President Johnson in the Vietnam War. The thing is, he, gets, he gives a speech at Riverside Church uh-huh. beyond Vietnam on April 4th, 1967. I don't care what anybody says. There's absolutely no coincidence to me that he is assassinated. One year to the day, almost one year to the hour of that speech. He gives that speech uh, in the evening on April 4th, 1967, and the bullet hits him at 6.01 p.m. on April 4th, 1968. But when you go through that book, he's talking about black power. He's talking about riots. He's talking about economic conditions. But he's also challenging— and. when he says in the book, he said the issue for us moving forward will not be, and I'm paraphrasing, will not be the Klansman in a hood. It's going to be the moderate white. He it, says...
0: He says that in the letter from the Birmingham jail, too.
1: He cha- but, but then he says, he says, he says, then he said it didn't cost America much to allow us to be able to go to hotels, to swim in swimming pools, to go to parks. So the question is, will America now... Write that much larger check to right the wrongs, mm-hmm. but then he also challenges African Americans. He lays out this this story of of how Black people have endured, how they have survived. He said, he says, it, he says, it, it is it is it is amazing that African Americans are not completely traumatized and have PTSD as a result of all the things that they we've actually gone through. He said, but with all of that. This is what we still have to do. And then he challenges black leadership. And whether it's black church, black press, mm-hmm. black professional organizations. And when you're reading it, you're sitting here going, everything that has transpired in America since 1968, he literally lays out a year before when he writes the book.
0: So he knew what was gonna happen.
1: Oh, and I'm talking, I mean, I'm sitting here reading it mm-hmm. and I'm like, yo. And I'm talking about just I mean, it, it, it's just because when people, everybody keeps acting as if, oh, no, 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 okay, we got killed. First of all, the Fair Housing Act was being filibustered, uh-huh. okay, three years before he gets killed. Senator Edward Brooke and others finally break the Senate filibuster in February of 1968. House still is not acting. They're not moving. It's on his death is what got it passed. April 5th, 1968, President Johnson sends a letter to Congress, saying there's no greater way to honor the the, the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. than to pe- finally pass a bill that he gave his life for. The Fair Housing Act is signed the week after his death. His death is what led to the passage of the Fair Housing Act. He doesn't get assassinated. They are still filibustering the Fair Housing Act. Mm-hmm. So then you go through 68, and then of course Nixon gets elected. Then you have, of course, Arthur Fletcher comes in with affirmative action. Then everybody forgets that Oh, wait a minute, 1970, then you begin to have the busing fights. Then you begin to have white flight. Then you have Gary Hatcher elected black, the first black mayor of Gary, Indiana, and then Stokes in Cleveland. Then you have uh Maynard Jackson becoming the first black mayor of the city of Atlanta. And then Coleman young in Detroit, then Mayor and Barry in Washington, DC. Then you have this massive white flight that's taking place. where all of a sudden now suburbs are propping up because, Oh, how, Oh no, no, we're not going to be under a black mayor. They're going to now want power. So all, he lays all those things all those things are the, are beginning to happen and and he says he said even our white allies will not be with us because he said whites in america were saying oh y- 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 y'all got enough look okay finally y'all can vote all right finally y'all can go to hotels now you can live somewhere that's enough and he's saying in the book no it's not enough
0: that's you know, we I have a reading list that we add to this, and so on. The, I'm going to skip ahead. The, the reading list is to read the letters from the Birmingham Jail because it's in, in this he lays it out. Everybody knows the quote for "Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere," which is really powerful. But the part I thought was more interesting is he says the biggest stumbling block blacks are going to have isn't the KKK; it's complacency from moderate white Christians, yes, who are more devoted to order than justice. Yep. You know, they would they were like, "Why are you doing these sit-ins in Birmingham?" and it was. Because you had to, that negotiations didn't go that far. You had to, you know, go that far, and you know, the, and I think it is true. The the moderate white Christian is the one who ultimately said, you know, yes. Enough.
1: And and even even when even after his death, that's what you still see. That still exists today. Mm-hmm. When you look at polling data, uh, Thomas Edsel had a piece in the New York Times right after the election of Trump. And he went back and looked at the, the uh, focus groups that, that took place after the 1984 election. And then you had, you had 25 and 30% and plus of whites who said, okay, blacks have gotten too much. They've gotten too much. But then I can roll it back to American history. Uh-huh. You go through 245 years of slavery, then you go through the period of Reconstruction. which Reconstruction, arguably, the greatest period of advancement for black people in America. But after five or six years... White said, okay, all right, okay, you know, look, okay, we've done enough, 13th Amendment passed, 14th Amendment passed, 15th Amendment passed, okay, that's enough. We're going to think about that. Six or seven years of Reconstruction, all right, that's enough after 245 years. you Same thing. Nine, then, of course, great, great Compromise of 1877 takes place. Uh, and then you have 92 years of Jim Crow. Uh-huh. Then, of course, you have with Emmett Till's death in Montgomery, 13 years of a civil rights movement. And folks are saying, OK, that's enough. Uh-huh. Now, think about it. 92 years of Jim Crow, 13 years of a, civil, of a civil rights movement, also called Black Freedom Movement. OK, all right, that's enough. Uh-huh. I, I'm sorry. That, 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 as if those three laws, OK, that solves everything. As opposed to, wait a minute, you still are dealing with massive inequality, massive unemployment, the, the wealth gap is tremendous. Who I mean the, the the inability of people to even understand today the devastating impact of blacks not being able to live and own homes, which is where America's Americans often get their wealth, we're still seeing it today, what is being passed down. And so the the issue for me is when people have no understanding. Of The depths Mm -hmm. to which you you had racism, Jim Crow, white supremacy, and how it went. The continuum was from August of 1619 all the way through present day. Then folks go, oh, that was so long ago when I explained to them that if you use the death of King April 468. So let's just say it's 1970 because it takes you Mm -hmm. a year when the bill gets, you know, it's finally passed law. If you use 1970 as the marker when African-Americans were technically fully free Americans, Mm -hmm. it's 48 years. November 14th, next month, I'm 50, which means...
0: In your lifetime.
1: Which means I was actually born not fully free, which means that my nieces and nephews, I don't have any children, but my nieces and nephews are the first generation of Martins, who were born fully free, but I still use technically because they still have to deal with the remnants. Now, think about that. We keep saying, oh, it's far away, but I was born into an America not fully free. And then when folks go, damn, I never (sighs) thought about it that way. And so you're only talking about Forty eight years. But
0: you still think we're in the the backlash phase from the Civil Rights Museum. From from the Civil Rights Movement.
1: Oh no, absolutely. Okay. Oh no no that no there's absolutely no doubt. First of all, in the history of America, black success has always been followed by white backlash. Again, two hundred and forty five years of slavery, Reconstruction comes in, eighteen sixty five. Reconstruction lasts ten to twelve years. Uh Great compromise of eighteen seventy seven. Okay? That was a backlash from Reconstruction. Uh-huh. Democrats say, "Okay, fine, we'll let Hayes become president if y'all remove the last three, the last remaining federal troops from these last three Southern states." Grant takes them out of South. Uh, takes them out. Uh, one of the states is two left, and then of course Hayes does the rest. What immediately happens? They say, "Oh no, 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 no! We're not going anything to the to the free black people. We're fine. We're fine. It's all good." Immediately went in, kicked all of the black folks out of state capitals, and then instituted Jim Crow. Ninety years of then Jim Crow. So then, of course, you have 55 comes in, the fight for rights or whatever. So that begins to happen. What immediately happens? Democrats in 1948 endorse a civil rights plank. Confederate flag comes back out when the Dixiecrats have their convention in Mississippi. Okay. Backlash. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, Brown versus Board of Education 54. Then you begin to see, that's what people don't understand, all of these schools that started getting renamed for Confederate heroes. After 54, everybody forgets that was Brown 2 in 55. Backlash. Black success. Backlash. Now you go through 60, and now you go through 63 and 64 and 65 and 68. Backlash. Even after King gets killed in the Fair Housing Act of 68, then you have backlash. Then you have what happens? These infusion of black elected officials coming in in the early 1970s. What then happens? White flight. Backlash. Maynard Jackson comes in and he says to banks in Atlanta, Y'all have, you all don't have any black members on your board of directors. They said, we don't know any who can do this. He says, city treasurer, come in my office, take the city money out of their banks. Until you get black board members, you're not going to get any city money. He changes. In 72, in Atlanta, 0.0012% of all city contracts went to African Americans, which means out of every $100 spent by the city, Black people got 12 cents. He comes in, totally changes it. He serves two terms. One of the greatest politicians, not black politicians, and I'm talking about, I'm including presidents, senators, members of the House. What happens when his two terms are up? The white business community in Atlanta says, sends a letter out to all the businesses. You will not buy a table at his (laughs) event. The most you can do is buy two tickets. Benjamin Jackson can't even get a job in Atlanta. He has to join a law firm in Chicago. Backlash. Mm -hmm. What's the backlash of all those black mayors? Reagan in 1980. Reagan, Bush, you go through Clinton, Obama gets elected. What's the backlash to Obama? Trump. So our history has shown when you had black success, is foul about white backlash. And we don't want, want to be honest about that. But our, my deal is show me where uh-huh. that's wrong. It's sitting right before us because what we're dealing with is power. What we're dealing with, like one of the things that drove me crazy during the election, and i never forget watching Morning Joe. And I think Joe Scar wrote me the point about. White men and how he's like, oh, you know, the, the wages of black men have gone up X percent since 1973, and the wages of white men have gone up only three percent. And I'm like, dude, why don't you go look at? Of course, Where the wages of right, <laughs> of course, the wages of black men are going to go up a uh, 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 higher because what happened before 73? Right. See, and that's the problem. We don't like to deal with that. We are. Uh, we. It's like when, when Governor Terry mccullough of Virginia said he was going to grant voting rights to 13,000 formerly incarcerated people. Republicans sued him saying, you can't do it just in mass. You have to do it for each individual person. He then said, he was the first governor that said, why do we have this law? Because in 1902, a racist stood on the floor of the Virginia Virginia, uh, legislature and said, we are passing this law to keep the darkest from voting. The law in Florida right now, they have a ballot initiative in Florida to restore the voting rights of formerly incarcerated, one point seven million people. If this thing passes, the change of state constitution has to get sixty percent of the people voted voting for it in in eighteen days. Right now, it's polling at seventy two percent. That law goes back to eighteen eighties. Uh-huh.
0: Well, you even go back to the why Dr. King was in Memphis to start with the the sanitation worker strike,
1: and some of them are still working.
0: I I, I so I saw your interview you did with with William Lucy. And I, I didn't know him. He was the union leader who came down there, and yep. he's the one who actually came up with
1: the mm-hmm.
0: I'm a man slogan. Tell the story of uh, why that slogan and why that Though, was so important.
1: The thing is, and so, so, I'll, so I'll tell you in reverse. When we were at the – I was there in February as well, and they had a ceremony at the spot where the two workers were killed mm-hmm. in February of 1968. The, so the, two of their sons were there. So what happened was – The
0: black – sanitation workers couldn't ride in the cab of the
1: truck. They Could, had to ride in the couldn't back. Couldn't ride in the cab. The black workers also, what happened was, when there would be a rain out, they would send the black workers home, and then they wouldn't call them back, so they got no pay. Mm-hmm. And so, it was they got totally screwed. So, the two workers were killed when, when the, a the lightning tr- hit yeah, one of the trucks. It and malfunctioned. It malfunctioned, and, really and it crushed them. both of them, because yeah. they were in they were sitting in the back of the truck to get out of the rain. Mm-hmm. The sons of those two were there. Wow, and I asked one of the sons. I said, "What is it that you want to want people to know about your father?" And this is what he said, which is why that slogan was what they came up with. That he said, "People need to know all my daddy wanted to do was to take care of his family." He said he just wanted to work and to be able to provide for his family. What Lucy said, what Reverend Doctor James Lawson said. I just interviewed him. Uh, two weeks ago unbelievable one of the most who is living here in LA Uh who is one of the greatest thinkers and organizers who we never talk about he just turned 90 years old last month but it's the same thing they just wanted dignity they just want to be respected that's why it's it's not, I am a man. It's, I am a man. That's why the am is underlined. Those 1,100 black workers said, you going to treat us. It wasn't even about the money. It said, you're going to treat us with basic respect. And the mayor at that time would just would just dismiss them. And, and Lucy told the story when they went to City Hall and basically uh, the racist uh, white mayor, what do you want? Why are y'all in my office? And I just how he just talked to them and one of the one of the workers said, I am a man. How are you talking to me that way? And Lucy said those men would run through a brick wall to get respect. And if I take that, and this is this is the hardest thing for people to understand. What why is it so hard? And trust me, I've had to deal with this in my entire career. The hardest thing in this world is how a black man gets treated. What I mean by that is, if you are a black man, for some reason, you can't be confident. You can't be assertive. You can't speak your mind. That is one of the greatest threats Malcolm X's father was killed because he dared demand respect. The the, the history of other black men who dared to question somebody white say no you're going to talk to me like a man you're not going to talk to me like a boy. That is and that thing still exists. Uh-huh. That thing still exists. I mean I when I worked at the Fort Worth Star Telegram it's very interesting. Ken Delaney is a national security reporter for NBC News. So Ken and I worked on the same staff at the Fort Worth Star Telegram. I covered city government, I covered county government. And it was very interesting because I mean literally we sat right across from each other. And it was interesting because Ken was was a reporter, young reporter, but made some mistakes. And I would watch my white bosses Oh, you know know, it's okay. He's this, he's that. I mean, he's aggressive, he's assertive. He's all the words that were used. I'm covering city hall. He's covering county government. I'm working my ass off. Three promotions in the first year and a half of my career, but here was a difference. He's cocky. He's arrogant. He wears his ambition on his sleeve. We were the same age. One covering city, one covering county government. But as a black man, I couldn't be assertive. I couldn't be aggressive. I could not want upward mobility. I had to approach it. Um, can I Can I please uh-huh. get this? And I'm sitting there going, oh, hell no. I said, no, 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 no. You're not going. And, and in fact, because it's very, and I know, and somebody's probably saying, "Yeah, yeah," but they were sanitation work. I'm like, "No, no, no!" But it comes down to basic respect. I had an editor, Kate Northcott. It was, it was, I mean, when I say I could, I'm sitting at my desk, she's standing next to my cubicle, and we're talking about a story. And she's, she, this is what she says: "Well, you need to get your production up. Now, if anybody, if any of you, if you get hear that, that's an assault on like you lazy.
0: <laughs> you need to work more." produce more
1: I said excuse me so I stood up and I walked in a circle quietly I'm seething and she goes "Uh, "Ah, let's take this into the office I said yeah I think you want to take this into the office I said but give me a second I gotta print something out so I go to my computer and I print something out and I walk into the office and I said I throw it in the desk you might want to read this first what I had was a month by month week by week, breakdown of my production. How many stories I wrote, how many stories I contributed to, how many days I worked. Which showed that I did more stories and contributed to more stories my second year than my first year. She then goes, "Well, we don't measure production by the number of stories you do. (laughs) I go, really? (laughs) So how do you measure production? I said, oh, Quality of the stories? Yes, I said, why don't you turn a to page too? <laughs> I then had a breakdown of my stories that ran on the front page, that ran on the Metro page cover, the front page, the uh-huh. Metro cover, and inside. 60%, 65% of my stories ran either front page or Metro. I said, now, I said, okay, here's the problem. What, what do you have next? Mm-hmm. I said, because if your next argument is that that's not quality, I said, before you answer that, keep in mind, you're one or two of my editors, which means you have approved inferior work. I said, can we just cut to the chase and say this ain't got nothing to do with my production?
0: So how? Did, so okay, that leads me to a great place. So how do you like being RolandMartin.com and rolling Roland Unfiltered?
1: It's um um. Uh, it's it's uh, RolandSMartin.com So I got through an issue Because that's a good Okay The greatest bass fisherman ever Is named Roland Martin <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that's why I use the S But, <laughs> okay. but the, but the S, We'll put yes. it in the show notes But, 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 but the thing is Here's was. He, this is what I, It's hard for people to really understand First of all I went to a communications high school mm-hmm. So what I What I'm doing now I've been doing since I was 14 years old uh, That's Jack Yates High School Magnus School of Communications uh, which is the same high school that produced Debbie Allen, Felicia Rashad Allen, and so many other greats out of Houston. But the thing that people, the thing that people don't understand is that people go, "Oh my God, you want to work for the New York Times? No, you don't. No, oh, you don't want to go work in L.A. No. What they didn't, what they never understood is that for me, it's not based upon the largest of the company, how, how big it is. No, it for me, it's the work I'm able to do. So when I left the Fort Worth Star Telegram to go to KKDA Radio become news director, they were like, I mean, literally, the Metro editor, Mike Norman, ugh, he, sent a let, he sent a note out to the staff saying I was leaving, and pretty much was like, I can't believe he's leaving us for this 1,000-watt radio station. <laughs> and I'm going, see, that's your problem. He's thinking, you're the city hall reporter for the Fort Worth Star Telegram. yes but I'm going to be the news director, which means I'm deciding what we cover. Uh-huh. I was 26. I was one of, the, one of the youngest news directors in the country. It's a radio station. I'm deciding the coverage. Million Man March comes along. I say, we're going to, go, we're going to cover it in its entirety all 12 hours. Just the other day, marked the 23rd anniversary of the Million Man March. I saw telegram when we were covering the lead up to it. I had to ask, can I go cover? See, what he didn't understand was it wasn't the largeness of the company. For me, it's the largeness of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused. And so when I became the managing editor of the Dallas Weekly, people were kind of like, yeah, but, but you should go work for Dallas Morning News. Well, there were people who were Metro editors and assistant managing editors of the Dallas Morning News. When major things happen, they will only call the editors into the meeting. Although Vernon Smith was an AME of the Dallas Morning News, Vernon couldn't be in the meeting because he was an AME. He wasn't the Uh ME. I was the ME. But they would think, yeah, but that's the Small Black Weekly. Yes, but I'm the ME. It's no different than when here I am, hosted my own show on TV one for eight years, Sunday morning show for four years, a daily show for four years. And when I'm invited and when president Obama, and then when Trump, I don't call him president Trump because I will only call him that when he learns to respect the office. When I, when they have a meeting with the television anchors at the table, it's Stephanopoulos, it's Chris Matthews, it's Wolf Blitzer, it's Lester Hope before it was Brian Williams. It's Jeff Glor. Before that, it was um, Scott, Pelley. Uh, Scott Pelley, David Muir. They're all at the table, and Roland Martin. Folks were going see again. This is the mistake we made. ABC, CBS, NBC—great companies, but are you at the table? Mm-hmm. There are people who are who are, who have great jobs. When Lester Holt was at NBC and Brian was there, Lester was the host of Weekend Today. Lester couldn't come to that meeting. And that's the mistake I think people make. And when I, when I got Journalist of the Year from National Association of Black Journalists in 2013, what I see it in Orlando was, too many of you are enamored with the largeness of the letters on your business card. When you should be focused on the largeness of the opportunity. If I have an amazing opportunity at a smaller venue, that to me is more important than having a small opportunity at a huge media company because where can I have greater impact? And so when I look at my career, when I look at, and you're talking about even what I'm doing now, because folks, when TV One ended my show, people were going, oh, man, I can't, I mean, can you go back to CNN? What about MSNBC? I said, no, no, I'm going to launch this here. And they, were, and they were just confused, like, okay, dude, I don't understand why you're doing this. I said, because what you don't understand is that scene from The Insider when Al Pacino's playing Lowell Bergman. Al Pacino says, Lowell Bergman, 60 Minutes, I wonder if my calls get returned, if that's not at the end of my name. What I have is that my calls get returned because of Roland Martin not because of the company after my name
0: that's great advice Mm -hmm. that's great advice for everybody
1: that so no, no matter where I go no matter where I go I can talk to that mayor that governor that senator that house member that CEO that entertainer because of Roland Martin and what I've done in my career, which is why I think when Max Robinson said, Max Robinson, 1988, his body's ravaged with AIDS. He's dying. The first black, um, the first black anchor of an evening newscast uh, when he was part of the the Troika of Frank, Frank Reynolds, Peter Jennings Mm -hmm. and uh, and Max Robinson. He's at Howard university. And he says, never, ever lose your integrity or your credibility because in the end, it's all you got. And that is, but I remember reading that quote, and that also is seared into my memory. But also what's seared into my mind is the model of the black press, which came from the first black newspaper, Freedom's Journal, in March of 1827. The lead editorial, they wrote, we wish to plead our own cause. Too long have others spoken for us. So when I launched my own digital show, what I said was, I had News One Now, which was the only daily news show that spoke to the interests of African Americans. Show gets canceled. That's it. Yes, you've got websites. Yes, you've got podcasts. Yes, you got all those different things. But you there still is no other show that this is what it's dedicated to. So when Latasha Brown and Cliff were in Georgia on Monday, when they were about to take 30 seniors to go vote, and then somebody called and ordered them off of the bus. Guess who she called first? She called me. Uh-huh. I said, cool. Y'all gonna be on the show tonight. Having and owning and controlling that means that if they say no, I can say yes. When Ben Crump has an attorney, has a client who beats the cops, who busted his door down, lies that he was selling drugs, and all charges were dropped, they came to me first. And so for me, it's saying how can we tell these stories, and I have to go through somebody else being a gatekeeper, but again, controlling the narrative, and that's why. And that's why I created it. And and look, I tell people all the time it's tough, it's not easy. Uh, it's not like you have the resources, it's not like you have all of that. But you know what? Um, the reality is with technology, how that game has changed. And I've always I'm probably the closest you're gonna get to a uh tech, tech geek uh-huh. who's not a geek, <laughs> right? Um, but understanding that, understanding how I'm able to know how we can now report live from places that don't require a satellite truck, how we're able, I mean, all those different things that's thinking differently. And so for me, it's not, Oh my God, I work at this place here. No, no, no. Right. What, what did you do? What was the work?
0: And technology and social media has made that so much easier and so much more accessible for people to be, well, absolutely. To be able to get their stories. But, out but, but it's,
1: the, but I, I tell me about it's, 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 the work I, what brings me joy, again, is not the awards. Is not, it's not all of that. What absolutely brings me joy, and I'm telling somebody listening and they're going, you're lying, and it's not true. It's literally when, yo, that was a great interview <laughs> or that was a great story. Not, oh, it ran on CNN. Right. No, I have the same feeling about a story that I wrote at the Dallas Weekly or the Chicago Defender or the Houston Defender, three black weeklies, as I did when I was on CNN. And CNN was also never bigger to me than TV One. I respected both, Mm -hmm. and I didn't treat TV One as they were second class compared to CNN. And I made CNN understand that they are just as important to me. In fact, TV One was more important because they paid me before CNN did. <laughs> TV, One was a, TV One respected my voice before they did. And see, a lot of people, that would be reversed. Right. Oh, for, forget, mm-hmm. this little, forget this little black network. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Because though, when I sat at the table with the president, I never sat at the table representing CNN. I was in that room, that card in the dining room said, Roland Martin, mm-hmm. TV One.
0: I mean that is the joy is in the work and the accomplishment of and the you know, pride is in the work.
1: Yes, and that, people, I'm telling people, people think I'm. They, I guarantee you, somebody's going. He's lying. No, it, but that's can't. but that that's goes right. back to why I, I never. I didn't feel I didn't feel as if my my my, my, my career was complete because oh my god I worked here. Mm-hmm. No, even when I worked at CNN, that 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 wasn't it. Mm-hmm. When I sat in that lobby. I said in that for four years I did free television I did free print for four and a half years, and I sat in that lobby and I sat down in 2007, and I said, uh, "No, 2006." And I said, December 2006. I said, "God, if it is Your will for me to be here, then make this happen." It had nothing. It wasn't. Oh my God! I really need this. Isn't it's like no. What is your will for me? If it is your will for me to be here at this point in history, then make it happen. Thank and you. that was the mentality.
0: That's great. Thank you so much for joining us. Great conversation, great insight, great advice to lots of young people out there. Uh, how can people follow you, reach you on social Easy. Internet?
1: Twitter, Roland S. Martin. Instagram, Roland S. Martin. YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Then, of course, Roland S. Martin.com. Uh, and of course, the site is com. Bobby, how can people reach you? I'm on Instagram at Sounds Like Bobby.
0: I am on Instagram at Mr. Jason Ball and on Twitter at Jason Ball. Please uh, subscribe to us on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us five star ratings. Thanks again, Roland.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks much.
0: bunch. Bye bye.